This podcast is brought to you by the Nuclear Energy Institute. It powers our cities. It boosts our economy. It creates jobs. It even powers space travel. It's nuclear energy, and it does so much more than you think. Discover all nuclear is doing at discovernuclear.com backslash CQ. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is the Week Ahead Podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shape the real world. A last-ditch effort by Senate Republicans to repeal the 2010 health care law, better known as Obamacare, began to unravel on September 22nd when Arizona's John McCain said he was against it, and Maine's Susan Collins said she was leaning no. Is it dead? Or will the Obamacare repeal effort rise again? And what does this apparent failure tell us about Republican governance this year? I'm Sean Zeller, Deputy Editor of CQ Magazine, and I'm joined today by Mary Ellen McIntyre and Niels Lesniewski, who are covering the issue for CQ and Roll Call. Welcome to both of you. Good to be here. Thanks for having us on. So, Niels, thanks for joining us. Um, Senate Majority Leader... Mitch McConnell said he was planning another Obamacare repeal vote next week. He said that yesterday. Um, Now the whole thing looks dead. What's going on? Well, uh, Senator John McCain came out and said basically there is not enough time to uh, for him in good conscience to vote for the latest uh, repeal and replacement effort led by his uh, good friend Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, uh, along with Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. He said that basically this was a tough decision for him, uh, particularly because of his relationship with Graham, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, But also, he just had been saying over and over and over again, regular order. We need to go back to regular order, to making the Senate work the way it used to work. Uh, And this was basically going to be a bill jammed through right before a deadline without a CBO score. And he decided that he just couldn't take it and he couldn't stand to vote for it. Okay, so it's important to for our listeners to think back to July here when Arizona Senator John McCain had been diagnosed, just diagnosed with brain cancer and made a dramatic return to Washington to vote on these Obamacare repeal bills. And he cast the deciding no vote against the one that came closest to passing, which was the so-called skinny repeal. It would have repealed the mandate that individuals buy health insurance and that companies pay for it. And he followed that up with a heartfelt appeal for bipartisanship and for a return to regular order, which means committee consideration of legislation um, and amendments and sort of that prolonged bipartisan process. But people thought he might go for this because of his friendship with Graham. So tell us a little bit about that, Niels. Well, there had been talk that there would be a finance committee hearing on Monday, and that would lead to floor consideration by the middle of the week on this Graham-Cassidy bill. Uh, But McCain had already started to make clear that he didn't think that one committee hearing after a bill is already written is what he meant by regular order. But there was still skepticism that he would be an opponent of this particular bill because you can't find 
a closer friend in the Senate, certainly, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a, a closer friend in the world to John McCain than Lindsey Graham. Uh, McCain has sort of a father-son relationship with Graham, who's quite a few years is younger, but they're both military men. Uh, and so it was a surprise that McCain would come out against Graham so early, but perhaps that's why he came out against it so early, rather than with some sort of dramatic vote where Lindsey Graham ends up looking embarrassed by his friend. Maybe it's better to sort of pull back the uh, Band-Aid early. Okay, let's turn to Mel now and ask her about this bill, which Graham was the co-sponsor of with a Louisiana senator, Bill Cassidy. So what's in the bill? The bill would take the money that currently goes for Obamacare's tax credits that help certain people afford health insurance, the cost-sharing reduction payments, which help certain lower-income people afford certain out-of-pocket payments under that bill, and then for any state that expanded Medicaid, the federal share of that money. And it takes all that funding and it puts it into one block of money that would go from 2020 through 2026, and it would redistribute all that money to states depending on a few different types of calculations throughout that time period based on, you know, the number of people that they have enrolled in coverage, lower income people in their states depending on the year, and it would redistribute that basically to try to reach parity amongst all the 50 states and D.C. So thinking about the 50 states, who comes out winners in this and who are the losers? We've seen a lot of different um, organizations come out with their analyses over the past couple of days of this bill largely states that did not expand Medicaid. So they haven't currently been receiving that federal funding um, since 2014. They would come out more on top because they are now getting more money than they had been getting because they weren't getting that federal funding to cover those individuals that are within 50 to 138 percent of the federal poverty level that currently the federal government is covering more than 90 percent of their health care costs. Okay. And those states that did not expand Medicaid are mostly Republican-controlled states, and what was their rationale for not expanding Medicaid? They are. So it's mostly Republican-controlled states, big states like Texas and Florida, as well as other states. For example, Virginia has a Democratic governor who has tried to implement Medicaid expansion, but a Republican legislature that stopped him from doing that. So they have said, you know, we don't want to expand this um, federal program. We will eventually have to cover more of this. That would be a strain on our budget as we have to take more control of this payment by 2020. They would have to cover 10% of that. They say that we don't want to expand Obamacare. And so that's kind of been their rationale. Okay. So on the previous uh, legislative efforts, both in the House and the Senate, a big deal was how the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan agency of Congress, that looks at legislation and determines what it will do, came out with scores that said that 20 million people, 23 million people would lose their health care over 10 years if such and such plan came out. So has the Congressional Budget Office, Mel, come to a determination on how the Graham-Cassidy bill would affect the number of insured people in this country? 
Not yet. We're expecting a preliminary report from the CBO early this week. But because that is preliminary, they've warned that they wouldn't be able to show things like coverage numbers, premium effects for the next several weeks. So we won't have all of those details that we've seen in earlier versions of Republican Senate health care bills. It'll be more preliminary, high budget numbers, maybe some qualitative descriptions, but not some of those firm numbers that people said they wanted to see last time. Okay, Mel, one more question for you. In the past, these repeal bills have been opposed by important interest groups like the American Medical Association, which represents doctors, and the AARP, which represents older Americans. Is the Graham-Cassidy bill getting better reviews from any of these important groups? Not really. We've seen the insurance lobbying groups, doctors groups, patient groups, other advocacy groups, the AARP, as you mentioned, come out this week against this proposal. You've seen Nearly a dozen governors from both parties say we should consider bipartisan fixes to the law instead of this plan. Most recently, you saw the Association of Medicaid Directors, um, that's a bipartisan group, come out in opposition to this. So that's a noteworthy addition. Similarly, we haven't seen the healthcare industry embrace this proposal, similarly to how they hadn't embraced past proposals. Okay, thanks, Mel. I'm going to turn back to you, Niels, and we're lucky to have Niels here today because really... It's fair to say that few, if any, reporters in Washington know the Senate better than Niels Lesniewski. So, Niels, the bill is not 100% dead because Susan Collins says she's leaning now. So what what's at play here at this moment? Well, it, it's really hard to see Collins ever getting to yes, and it might be hard to see Lisa Murkowski, a Republican from Alaska, uh, getting to yes without some sort of substantial carve-out that helps Alaska. There had been some talk of one that might help both Alaska and Hawaii. But given the opposition of Rand Paul, the libertarian-leaning Republican from Kentucky, who's been pretty much intransigent on this one, uh, the path was narrow to begin with, And but nonetheless, McConnell had said he intended to call a vote on this. So it was always going to be a long shot, uh, but I think this bill is pretty much over with, although I don't know that I'm ever going to write another obituary for the repeal and replace of Obamacare because it feels like it keeps coming back. Right. I mean, this means that the deck is cleared next week in the Senate. They were planning to do this health care bill, presuming it doesn't move forward now. So the thing that might be on the agenda to replace it is a new set of instructions for the budget reconciliation process. This is the arcane procedure that they've been using to pass legislation with only 50 Republican votes. So they're going to prep new instructions for 2018. Now, those were supposed to be all about health care. I mean, sorry, all about taxes. But might they add health care? Well, they could. Now, there's going to be pressure, obviously. They want a victory on on tax reform and presumably on large tax cuts if you're the Republicans. But as a technical matter, you could try and give instructions back uh, to the health committees uh, in the House and the Senate because you're already going to be giving instructions to the Finance and Ways and Means Committees, which both write tax policy and have a large piece of health care. So you could, in theory... Uh, try and bundle the two together, which might actually give you more money to play with in terms of tax cuts if you are 
cutting the growth rate of Medicaid or you're, you're making changes on the health care side that save money. Right. And these health care bills the Senate Republicans were considering were indeed cost savers. And now more from our sponsor, the Nuclear Energy Institute. It powers our cities and towns across the country. It creates jobs. It adds billions to the economy. It even powers space travel. Life as we know it wouldn't be life as we know it without it. And it's called nuclear energy. Yes, nuclear energy. Every day, nuclear energy helps us to keep our country running and moving forward. Discover all the things nuclear is doing at discovernuclear.com backslash CQ. Nuclear. Power the extraordinary. So the other issue out there is a bipartisan fix for some of the problems that plague the Obamacare exchanges, which are declining enrollment and rising fees, insurers pulling out. Everyone acknowledges that those are real problems. And there is an effort going on in the Senate to find bipartisan solutions, right? Well, there had been, and maybe it will come back now. Uh, Senator Lamar Alexander, the chairman of the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, and his ranking member, Patty Murray, the uh, Democrat from the state of Washington, had been working and and by some measures were close to a deal on uh, some stabilization measures, some some ways to give states more flexibility and waive some of the requirements of the Affordable Care Act, the Obamacare law, or uh, also give some uh, assurances to insurance companies that they're going to be getting necessary payments that makes it better for them to be in the business and makes it more likely that they won't pull out. That had been sidelined by the latest Graham-Cassidy plan, and we'll see how quickly Alexander and Murray are able to get back to the table. And one other strategy Republicans were considering were the issuance uh, by Tom Price, the Secretary of the Health and Human Services Department, of waivers to conservative states that want to experiment in the healthcare field and don't want to implement Obamacare as it was written, but have other ideas. And those might be furthered at this point, right? Sure. I think it's it's more likely that everyone sort of moves ahead with what had been their plan B, at least until there's another effort to repeal Obamacare. And frankly, what we've learned from this exercise is that Whenever a plausible Obamacare repeal, whether or not it's a functional one, one that could maybe get enough votes, it seems to put the brakes on everything else. So we'll see how many more stops and starts we have. And the other issue out here is the leadership in the Republican Senate. In July, it was said that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's reputation as a mastermind of the Senate took a hit when his effort failed to get an Obamacare repeal bill. Has it taken another hit? I don't know if this actually will count as a hit because this was such a long shot. It seems like McConnell was creating as much space as possible for Graham and Cassidy uh, and their the other backers, Dean Heller and, and Ron Johnson, to get the votes necessary to the floor And if they had the votes, they definitely would have been able to have the floor time uh, in the coming week. But I don't think that McConnell 
is going to be so hurt by this because he definitely hedged his bets somewhat. His people were being clear that he intended to do this, that he intended to follow through on it. But there was never uh, some sort of pronouncement by the majority leader that, yes, I have the votes and we're going to the floor. And President Trump had been recently leaning towards working more with Democrats. He'd cut a deal on fiscal 2018 spending, at least temporarily, with Chuck Schumer, the Senate minority leader, and Nancy Pelosi, the House Democratic leader. And it indicated that his his, uh, his relationship with Republicans in the Congress was strained. Does this strain that further? I think it may. I, we'll have to wait. It's always difficult to prejudge uh, what Trump might do. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Trump responds uh, to this latest situation. And if he, in fact, picks up the phone and calls his friend from Brooklyn, Mr. Schumer, and tries to come up with some sort of bipartisan agreement uh, on health care, or if this continues to be sort of a Republican campaign issue and stays in that sphere. That will be interesting indeed. Thanks, Niels, for coming on. Thank you, Mel. Thanks for having us on. Always a pleasure. I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.